On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Deneen Milner. Deneen is a six-time New York Times bestselling author, Emmy Award-nominated TV show host, award-winning journalist, and has now written 32 books. The Atlanta-based writer and editor is also the editorial director of Deneen Milner Books, an award-winning imprint that publishes stories featuring Black children and families by Black authors and illustrators. The DMB list includes two Caldecott Honor Books, a Kirkus Prize for Children's Literature, two Society for Illustrator Honors, three NAACP nominations, and a Southern Black Award. Deneen lives in Atlanta with her two daughters and their golden doodle Franklin. My gosh, your bio is as impressive as your warmth and your talent. So thank you so much for joining us. Your epic novel, One Blood, is out now. Thank you for having me. I'm Yay. so pleased so to be here. Do you want to give our listeners, we have so many questions, and we're going to dive so deeply into these women and their story, but you want to just give the elevator pitch for One Blood. Sure. So One Blood is about three women connected through adoption. One is a teenage unwed mother who has her baby taken away. The second is the mother who raised that baby as an adopted child. And the third is that adopted child as a mother in her own right. And basically the story spans across the Great Migration to the Civil Rights Movement all the way up into 20th century New York City. And at the core of the story is how much does your past inform who you are today? And as a woman who faces all of these different isms, racism, patriarchy, colorism, classism, how do you gather yourself and get free? And so ultimately, that's what the book is about. It's about love, family, freedom. freedom. Getting free, which... I love. Okay. So we want to, as Corinne said, we want to dive into all of these women and their interconnected stories. But I do want to take a step back first and just talk about the very personal inspiration for this novel. Your dedication for One Blood reads, for my birth mother who loved me enough to give me away and my mother who found me, raised me and loved me with every fiber of her being. I am the lucky one. So we have had the pleasure and good fortune of hearing you speak before about your own story of discovering your adoption certificate at age 12 and about you keeping that secret and then what changed within you as you were pregnant with your daughter. So we'd love if you could share with our listeners some of your personal story and inspiration for for the novel. Sure. So, you know, of course, as soon as you bring up my mother's, I get teary because, you know, They are the loves of my life, right? One I didn't know, but who carried me in her belly and brought me safely into this world. And then the keeper of my world, my mother. So I was 12 when I figured out that I was adopted. I discovered the papers in my parents' room, snooping through their stuff. (laughs) (laughs) and came across my adoption papers, which, you know, of course, at 12, just was like, you might as well have dropped me off the top of the Empire State Building. Like I just, you know, like the gravity was taken from under me. And I kept it a secret because my parents kept it a secret. Well, one, I thought I was going to get in trouble for snooping through my parents' things. Like I wouldn't be able to explain to them how Mm -hmm. I knew that I was adopted, right? But after a while, it became, you know, like if this was something that they needed to be a secret in order for them to keep me within the family and love me and I be a Milner and a part of fabric of, you know, a part of the fabric of the Milner clan, 
then I would keep it quiet because I didn't want to be anywhere else. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a milliner. I wanted to be in this family. I wanted my mother and my father, and I wanted this love that we had for one another and this family unit to stay as one. And so, you know, like in my mind as a kid, it was just like, if I say anything, if I ruin their secret, then I could, you know, put myself into a precarious situation. Of course that would never happen, but I'm 12. What do I know? So, and then after a while, you know, it just didn't mean anything to me. I knew nothing else. Like my parents to me were my parents. And that was just, that like it was no different from you know like my heart beating we don't know we don't feel it beating but we know that it's beating well I didn't you know I wasn't born from my mother's womb or with my father's DNA but I am a part of their family and so I didn't tell anybody about it until my mother passed away and then I told my dad that day that I knew that I was adopted and he was like really how did you know (laughs) I told him I was 34 years old and kept that quiet that entire time. I didn't even tell my brother that I knew. So yeah, that was sort of the impetus for where one blood begins. Like, what did it take for this woman to create me and birth me? And then what did it take for her to give me away? Particularly since I've carried babies in my own womb and I just could not imagine being like my my older daughter was taken away from me for 10 minutes to get cleaned up and I was freaked out right and so like the idea of giving my children away not knowing what was to become of them not knowing about their safety their well-being their care but having to trust that wherever they went that it was better than what I could provide like in my mind that's the way that I always saw it that if something happened that she couldn't take care of me and she put me in the exact place that I needed to be in order for me to be loved the way that she knew that I needed to be loved and to thrive the way that she wanted me to thrive. And she did the absolute best mm. thing she could for me because I ended up in, in the arms of Betty and James Milner. And so, you know, like that's what came into this whole yes. um, book, you know, is what does blood mean? Do, do you have to carry someone someone's blood in your body in order for them to be family or can family be be chosen and created right we're always like oh well you can't choose your family <laughs> yeah. but you can choose your friends right but you know you can yeah. choose your family over and too, over yeah. right and and over and mm-hmm. over and over again and everyone your blood doesn't necessarily have to match your dna doesn't have to match in order yeah. for you to be family And so it was, you know, that's what I was exploring. Well, you speak with incredible grace. Mm -hmm. And that brings us right to the first part of this book. It's divided into three parts that represent each of the three women whose stories kind of weave together to make one blood. And the first is Grace. Her story is set in uh, post-segregation Virginia from 1965 to 69. Grace is often cast aside and unseen. She loses her mother. She's taken from her beloved grandmother and sent north to her social climbing aunt in Brooklyn, who's very worried about what Grace is going to, how she's going to affect her own image. And so, again, unseen, an obstacle. Grace then meets a boy who really sees her, but in a cruel irony, the world can't have them seen together. So tell us about Grace, again, so aptly named, and what you wanted to know about her and learn about her as you wrote this character. 
Yes. So it's great that you picked up on that. I named her Grace because I feel like we should give grace to the birth mothers, right? We're always kind of looking at them as a side eye or forgetting that they exist, which is why Grace's story ends the way that it does. Because I wanted everyone to feel when you're reading it, well, what, what happened to her? Well, we don't know. She's the, she's the birth mother. And we never kind of question what happened to the birth mother. We just focus on the adopted family. So I wanted folks to have grace for birth mothers. And that's why her name is Grace. So Grace is, you know, this, you know, young girl. She's very spiritually connected. She's learned the beauty of family from her midwife and healer, grandmother, you know, her mom is kind of a social climber who doesn't want to be sort of in the position that she is in rural Virginia, where, you know, segregation rules the life, but more importantly, patriarchy rules a woman's life. And she's figured out that in order to get out of this sort of, you know, mind-numbingly boring life, in poverty in the South, in the rural South, that she needs to find herself a man. And that gets her into all these different kinds of, you know, problems and situations that ultimately lead to Grace losing her entire family, her entire world. You know, the beauty of Grace is that she is a very essence of love. And that's the way that I've always thought about my my birth mother, that she, of course, deserves grace for what she was able to achieve, which was to, you know, this baby was made in love. In her mind, she's 15, 16 years old when she gets pregnant and then ultimately has a baby when she's 16. And, you know, in her mind, this baby was made out of love. The only thing that she ever wants in life is love. She understands the importance of it. She understands that it makes you strong, that it brings you joy, that it completes you. And so she wants this baby and she wants this baby because she wants to reconnect with that feeling that was taken away from her when she had to go up north and she lost her grandmother and her mom. And so, yeah, that's Um, Grace's story. It's beautiful. Oh, look at that. At the same time. And you were touching on what I want to talk about with my next question, which is in the book of Grace, there is Mama, who is her grandmother. You said she was a midwife and she brings the babies of white families into the world. And But she is truly a healer. You use that word. And she's a woman of strong visions and powers, which makes her dangerous in the eyes of other people, of course. And Grace also has what she calls these picture shows in her mind. So she's inherited this power from past generations. And then we see it in Ray. So through their stories, you're really exploring how women can tap into their intuition and their visions and their spirituality. And those things are often suppressed. I mean, for Mama, it has very tragic results, but Even just, you know, regular folks don't like that. Religious folks don't like that. And I don't think as a society we like women to really tap into that aspect of their intuition. A power that they can't take from us. Yes. Or or use in their own way. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, that that story and that sort Mm -hmm. of line that you're talking about, the research that I did was on like the witch trials and what happened to the women who everybody claimed were witches. Well, guess what? They were healers. They were healers and they were mostly midwives, right? They were bringing children into the world and helping women understand 
their power. <laughs> like literally our wombs are like a portal for souls. Yes. Like think of it that way, right? Like if you are able to nurture a life in your womb and bring it through your portal, you are literally bringing a soul mm-hmm. into the world. And when you think of it that way, it's just like, we are some <laughs> powerful people. And the people who helped them do that were being persecuted from the very beginning of time. And they continue to be yeah. persecuted. Black midwives in particular in rural South were you know, ridiculed. They created all these different licenses that they had to go ahead and have and get that you know, tamped down the amount of Black women who could actually be healers and midwives, and that was very much a part of the medical establishment, deciding that you could make money off of birthing and so bring people into the hospital, tie them up to machines and the table and make them have, you know, go through labor for long hours so that you could charge them for it. Whereas a midwife would be like, you know, give me a couple of chickens and some dollars and, and you know, like, we'll and I'll the- <laughs> help you birth your baby. Right. And and I will help take care of you afterwards, before and after. And that story is very much based on my great grandmother. My dad's grandmother was a midwife and healer in rural Virginia. And she birthed all seven of my dad and his siblings. And she helped heal people in the community and helped, you know, she was a midwife to mm-hmm. a bunch of mm-hmm. different people, black and white. Because people couldn't afford the hospital, they couldn't afford doctors, and you know, like what they had was what they had to pay her. And you know, like being a midwife or tapping into your intuition or understanding the land and the earth and all the different ways that it can be utilized to make you whole is a lost art that was completely erased or erased, not completely, because there are still people who practice. But in secret, because, you know, like my mom, if my mom were alive right now and she were reading this, she'd be like, that's not what Jesus said. That's that's not what's in the Bible. Right. And so but, you know, they they continue to do this in secret because they had to. But I am a firm believer after my mom passed away. I could smell her. And it's something that Ray is able to do in the book, right? Like I could smell my mom in the room. She would either present herself as flowers. There wouldn't be a flower for like a mile around me, but I could smell flowers just as plain as day. Or I would smell her very particular body lotion that she used when I was growing up. It was by Ebony Fashion Fair. And, you know, like it was a very expensive lotion. She paid $12 a bottle, which was a lot of money for us at the time. But she loved putting it on and she used it as like a scent of hers. It was her signature scent. And I promise you, years after she passed away, I could smell that scent in my house and know that Mm -hmm. she was present. And I thought it was weird and I kept it to myself. And then one day I mentioned it to my dad and he was like, I can smell her too. I smell her Sunday dinner. So in the morning he would wake up and it would just smell like Sunday morning when she was cooking dinner before we went to church. And so it's something that we can tap into. And I wanted to make sure that I, you know, like that I honored that in the book because it's important. We can all do that. We can all tap into our intuition. We know when something's not right. We know when someone is good. We know when someone's not so great. We know 
maybe it's not a good idea to do this this way or maybe it's not a good idea to do that way. And what we women are constantly told is to not trust that. And so I want us to learn how to trust that and understand that even if you, you know, are a Bible thumping, Jesus loving, Mm -hmm. jogging for Jesus person, that I really do believe our religion calls on us to tap into a divine voice, right? And you may think that it's God. Someone may think it's the Holy Spirit. Other people think it's within you. But it's all the same. I love that. It's like, why? Yes. Why is it any different? I mean, like you said, it's a divine voice. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just different. You you choose to look at it in different ways. And no one way is more important than the other or or worse than the other. It's like, you know, if I'm a Muslim or I am a Buddhist or I am a Christian or I am a Catholic or I, we all kind of arrive to the same place. There's something out there bigger than us that we need to honor and make sure that we grasp tight because it is providing this moral center that helps us be good human beings. Yes, absolutely. Simple as that. Simple as that. Not easy because of all the the competing forces and the obstacles and the crosstalk, but but it is as simple and easy as that. I want to talk about Dolores, Lolo. I love Lolo <laughs> so much. She obviously has a lot of pain and has a lot of struggles, but I want to read a little bit. Just She's so alive in my mind and in this novel, and there's a scene where they're getting ready to have some people over, housewarming, and she is putting on a dress that she makes, that she, and she is gorgeous, and she is kind of like going over the top because that's who she is. I want to read a little bit about it and, and to set the, the picture. It was nothing for Lolo to sit at her sewing machine and conjure up extravagant affairs that made Tommy puff out his chest when they walked into a, a room. He, short and dark, with a welterweight spilled and muscular shoulders bulging through his suit jacket, and she, modelesque and a quarter foot taller in her heels, looking like a rock star's girl. She would wear sheath dresses with gloves and matching kitten heels to buy bread and cigarettes at the A&P, just as easily as she would to check out a set at Mittens. Always a show. She'd spent, after all, quite enough time being average, being told who and what she couldn't be. Up north in the streets of New York, she was her own invention. That is who Tommy chose, and she liked being the prize, his prize. In a world that refused her protection, she was a jewel he coveted, safe in his arms. Oh, t- talk to us about Lolo. <laughs> Again, just so vivid and so complicated and complex, and I loved reading about her life. Thank you. Thank you. So Lolo represents all of the answers to the questions that I always wanted to ask my mom, Betty Dolores Milner. And... Lolo in the book does not lead a simple life. She's had a very complicated life and a very complicated time in women's history where we were fighting for our rights but didn't quite have them yet. And so you're talking about being at a moment in time where women couldn't sign a lease or buy a house 
or lay their head anywhere without the permission and backing of a man. A woman couldn't have credit without a man. You know, black women, you know, were sort of relegated to maybe three or four different careers, washing people's clothes, being a maid, you know, working in a factory or, you know, taking care of somebody's kids. That was it. You couldn't do anything else. Going to school was tough. You know, having money was tough. And I wanted to know how my mother came through all of that, right? How did she come through all of that? What led you to adopt? Why couldn't you have kids? And why did you adopt? And what had to open your heart in order for you to say, I can't have kids, and so I'm going to go and adopt one in 1968. Because to this day, people think that Black people do not adopt children, right? Like, do not adopt Black children. Everybody thinks, like, when a Black child is adopted, they're adopted by white people, right? That is the overarching. You look up any kind of adoption advertisement or stories or studies. That's the stock image, yeah. What you see, right, that's it. And so my parents adopted me in 1968, and I was surrounded by people who were either foster parents to children, Black children, or adopting them. And so that was always my world, but I wanted to know, like, well, what led to that in 1968? And, and how were you able to hold our family together and be a woman, deal with, you know, sort of this patriarchal idea that you should be in house and raising kids and taking care of the home, but also being a black woman. And so your black man that you're married to doesn't make enough money to support this lifestyle. And so you have to work too. And what does that look like? And how do you trust people with your kids? Like all of these different things that I wanted to ask her that I never got to ask her because we didn't have that kind of relationship, right? Like I was a daughter who was to be seen and not heard. And I was not to ask grown-up questions because I was a kid. And that relationship didn't change until I had children of my own. And then my mom became a different kind of woman to me, right? A different kind of mom to me, but she became a woman to me. And then she passed away like three years after I had my older daughter. And so Lolo really is sort of the very essence of the answers to the questions that I wish I could have had sense enough to ask my mother, brave enough to ask my mother while she was alive. And, you know, like I wanted to create a picture of what it would mean for a woman to not have children. Black women at the time that Lolo is, you know, written about in One Blood is dealing at that time, there were a lot of issues around reproductive health care and choices and abilities for all women, but for black women in particular, they were they were sterilized like North Carolina sterilized black women, like straight up took away their right to have kids for any reason. You know, like, oh okay, you stole a pack of gum, we're gonna take your ovaries. You know, oh you had a baby at a wedlock, we're gonna take your ovaries. You know, like the stories that I read and the laws that were on the books just overwhelmed me. And so I wanted to make sure that I weave that in into a story about a woman who doesn't have children, but understands that she wants them not only because she loves them, but because they are commodity, right? Having a child or being able to have a child was the thing that would get you the man, And the man was the one who would make it so that you could actually 
support yourself and live because you, again, right. you couldn't have your own home. You couldn't have your own money. You couldn't afford to, you know, have your own space. And so you had to depend on a man and in order for a man to consider you valuable. You had to give him that commodity and that was a family. Right. And so what happens mm-hmm. when you can't have one? What happens when you can't have a kid? What happens when you don't have that particular capital? And so I wanted to explore that through Deloitte. Oh, it did. And there, when she's talking to her friend and and she has a little paragraph about choice, oh, man, it's so powerful. And everything that you're talking about just is infused. You don't explain any of what you just explained to us. And in that paragraph, it all comes through. Mm. 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 Thank you. Thank you. And it's, you know, like, and it's complicated. It's a complicated thing for me. People will say to adopted children, oh, so surely you must be anti-abortion because, you know, like if your mother would have aborted you, you wouldn't be alive. And it's such a stupid, basic thing to say, right? (laughs) Right? Because I am a woman and my mother and folks like Lolo deserve to have the ability to choose to plan their parenthood, right? And to not have it taken away because of the choices that they made. And, you know, you'll find that Lolo made a choice or a a choice Mm -hmm. was made Mm -hmm. on Lolo's behalf, right? That, you know, sort of formed the trajectory of the rest of her life. Or she made a choice, like she made a choice and then Many choices were made for her after that choice. Yeah, absolutely. 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 And so I wanted to explore sort of what that means. Like, you know, well, the part of I could never have an abortion. Me, Deneen, could never have an abortion. Right. Because I understand from the perspective of a person, from my mom's perspective, a person who couldn't have a kid. I would, I don't want to do that for me. Right. But I also understand that women have the right to plan their parenthood for their own, for themselves. I have no right to tell you what you should and should not do. And so, you know, I wanted that to come through in that story. Like here is why this happens. Here is how you should respect people's choices. Um, It does. Yeah. Yeah. So we can't leave out Ray. The third part of the novel is the book of Ray, named after Ray of Sunshine. And I really related to to Ray. I mean, her and Lolo have a difficult mother-daughter relationship. 
Corinne and I talk a lot about our complicated relationships with our mother. I mean, she's close with her in some ways, and but they're like my own mother. I mean, there there are things, and now in their instance, there's secrets. But even even without them, you get the sense that she's a little afraid of her mother, right? That's not exactly. I always felt like there were things I just wasn't going to talk to my mother about, and I feel like Ray and Lolo have that challenge and you know she's this working mom and she's questioning for a lot of 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 her portion of her story what she wants and is this is this is this what I signed up for you know I've done I've made the right choices but are these really what I want and and why doesn't this feel good if this is what I've got the good husband and I've got the baby and I have a job and She's very, very relatable. And she's also, you know, examining, we're examining through her one of the themes you talked about at the beginning, of course, which is what makes a family. Is it the shared DNA, the same blood, or is it something more? Because she is Grace's daughter, but Lolo's daughter. So one of the things that I loved is this opening poem that did a beautiful job of thinking about blood in a spiritual or transcending way. And I understand your daughter wrote this poem. So tell us about the poem. And My kid wrote that it's poem. It's insane. It's incredible. <laughs> I want to hear about the poem and just about this idea, which I do think comes through, you know, through Ray of what is family and blood and what does it all mean? Yeah. yeah. You know, when, so Mari, that's my older daughter, she wrote that poem when she was 14 years old. She was either 14 or 13. She was in the seventh grade. And they had like a school-wide poetry contest, or it was like a middle grade poetry contest. And I didn't realize that she won. I didn't realize that she wrote the poem, and I didn't realize that she won until we went to an open a curriculum night. And they said, you know, oh, the kids had like a poetry contest, and Mari won, so we're going to have her come up and read her poem. And when she read it, the day that she read it, the day before, I had been riding in, we were riding in the car together as a family. I don't remember where we were going, probably a soccer game or something. And this really popular uh, radio show host used to answer questions on his show. And someone wrote in a question about adoption, like, I should I adopt my girlfriend's daughter and the host in answering the question said you know like called adopted kids throwaway Mm. kids like oh well this throwaway kid I I can understand you feeling like this is a throwaway kid but and I was just like Mm. it was the first time in my entire life that I felt like like how society looks Mm -hmm. at adopted kids like we're not yeah. humans or that we're garbage that no somebody threw away and somebody might come and pick you up but like mm. you know yeah. you were discarded and so I was feeling mm. away about that and it was weighing on my mind when I walked wow. into that curriculum night and then my kid reads this poem and I literally oh. burst into tears because I'm just like she gets it like this you know, child understands that like blood is so much bigger than the DNA. It's like the DNA of humanity, not just of one particular family. And when you think about 
blood and all its different ways that it like sustains us, that it protects us, that it makes our bodies run, that it, you know, makes us connected to somebody else or scares the mess out of us, like whatever it is, it's all a part of being a human being. And that's what that poem really, really does a beautiful job of explaining. And I'm like, how are you explaining this at age 14? <laughs> and so I, you know, like I asked for permission and she said, sure. <laughs> You're like, I, she's like, I already won a big contest. Go ahead. Oh, right, exactly, gosh. exactly. Oh. And so it's there, but you know, like Ray, you know, she, she finds out about her adoption and she has to, and then she, you know, in conversations that she has with her mother after she has her baby and, and her mom, you know, Lolo becomes mm-hmm. a little bit more soft and Ray becomes a little bit more brave. And she, Ray goes through something that's really traumatic and she has to, you know, ask her mom who's gone through a similar tragedy, how mm-hmm. she should deal with it. And her mother is like, you know, like I raised a strong daughter and you're going to figure this out, but you know, like you're going to figure it out with your intellect and your strength and I can guide you. I'm not going to tell you what I spent your whole life telling you what to do. Now you are a woman and a mother in your own right. And I'm going to, you know, give you some, some ideas on what I think would be good, but this is ultimately your, your decision. And so her mother is the one who like gives her wings and says, no, it's, it's your turn to fly. I've been flying this whole time. It's your turn to fly. And so Ray has to make some really, really hard calculating decisions, but her mother is there to sort of be this emotional safety net in a way that she never was before because she was busy trying to put the oxygen mask on her own face before she, you know, like put it on that of her kids and her husband and just try to breathe. And Grace, you know, manages to come into Ray's life. She's not aware that all of these different things are happening in her life. Is her mother and her grandmother moving in her life from the second that she takes her first breath? Her grandmother and her mother and her great-grandmother are there, you know, watching over her, but she doesn't realize it. And she never realizes it until her mother hands mm-hmm. her that special gift. And then she understands where all of this intuition, the spirituality, all of these different things are coming directly from mm-hmm. her ancestors. And that blood is there. So she she gets to experience one blood, like one blood from my mother and and her lineage, and then also the one blood from my mother and all the things that she brings to, you know, her love and devotion Mm. to family. I am just so filled up every time you talk. You know, we all know intergenerational trauma is a thing. We've seen so many stories where it's passed down uh, by nature and by nurture and cycles just continue because we don't know how to break them and breaking them is often as simple as kind of Lolo as as a choice Mm -hmm. but just breaking the cycle isn't enough you have to also have those moments of healing and building something new in its place and Mm -hmm. that was the most beautiful parts of this novel for me was seeing those little moments. You've, you've already kind of alluded to some of them, how Lolo gets a little softer, how Ray knows to use her as a flashlight, kind of what you were just talking about, a flashlight for her own future. 
and these little moments. And you also said earlier that you wished that you were a little braver to have asked the questions. And people always say like, oh, if I had only had more time. But the time, yeah. I mean, my, my mother is still here and we are still complicated and there are still things I can't talk to her about. And not because we don't have the time. We have the time. I don't yet have the courage, courage. and the right. sense to to ask for myself. I hope to get that. I feel like reading your book helped build a, a tiny block of that. But there were just so many yeah. scenes and... I'd like to read a little bit more if that's okay. I mean, this whole, I could read just pages and pages and pages. I have dog-eared here. Mm -hmm. But there's a moment when, as you're kind of talking about, Ray does confront her mother kind of about why. And and also, there's a, it's so complicated. You see your mother being away with your children, as Ray does with her, with Skye. And you're like, hey, how come you didn't do that with me? How? Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Her. Kissing right. her right. and hugging you her. Sugar bowl. Well, I would have got pots for oh, that, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so she has that, and then, and Lolo is amazing. She's just like, look, I was a mother to you. I don't want to hear it, and she, she is mm-hmm. hearing it, but she's also at the same time being like, don't forget, I loved you. Mm-hmm. And so, at the end yeah. of that moment, Lolo kissed Sky's head and then reached out for her own daughter's hand tried again for Ray's sake, for her own. This time, Ray let her mother rest her hand on her shoulder. This time, she looked in her eyes. This time, she saw a woman, not her mother, not her father's wife, not the mean, angry, abusive housewife, but a woman who had lived a hard life and who had sacrificed and protected her family with a fierceness that hurt not only her children, but her own self. Ray saw a simple, simple woman who'd survived an extraordinarily sad, complicated life. Those moments are just so powerful and so beautiful. And I wanted to talk about your experience in building those new bridges and having those new moments because breaking the cycle isn't enough. Right. I mean, I I just, again, this was about what I wished I would have been able to experience with my mother. One day, so I'm divorced, and I moved out in 2017. And then in 2019, I bought a house. Yeah. And I moved in in 2020, right as the pandemic happened, right? And so when I was gathering up my things from my apartment building, I was going through boxes that I had like just kind of thrown stuff in and I was going through those boxes because I didn't want to bring them over here. Right? I yeah, was sure. trying to purge, <laughs> trying to start like for real, for real, new and fresh. And so I was going through those boxes and trying to pare them down. And I came across a letter that my mother had wow. written to me. Wow. And it starts with, it was just a simple card It was for my birthday. And she said, I thought I would surprise you. You know, I don't like to write letters, but I thought I would surprise you for your birthday. And I just wanted to let you know that I love you and that I'm here for you in any way that you need. May God bless you. Because my mom is really, really religious. May God bless you and keep you. I'm here for you and I love you. Love moms. I actually had the way that she signed 
the letter. I don't know if yes. you guys can see that. Oh my god! I actually had my mom's love oh. from that letter tattooed oh. on my arm, and on this side is oh. free oh because because that's what I need in my life, and that's who who brought it to me. But my mom was really complicated. And even after she was gone, she still was expressing her love for me, right? My mom died in 2002. And I found that letter in like 2019. And to this day, I still pull it out and just put it up on an altar on my right here in my living room because it makes me feel close to her. And so I wanted to express that in this book. Right. That in some little ways, you got to find those little ways, no matter what the relationship is, no matter how it begins, no matter how it ends. You have to find those little jewels, those little moments. And I feel like she gave me that jewel. I did not know that letter was there. And that jewel reminds me that no matter how I felt about how she raised me. Right. Or how our relationship was, because my mother was an incredible mother. She was fierce and protective and loving and beautiful and really invested in me being a good person and provided that moral center for me. But she was hard, right? But even after she's gone, she's reminding me that she loved me, right? In in one blood, Lolo says, yeah, I I didn't hold your hand and kiss you and hug you like, you know, daddy did, but did I cook your food? Yeah. Right? Did did you have clothes on your body? Did you get to church on Sunday? Do you have friends that love you and that, you know, did you stay out of trouble? Did you have a place to lay your head? Were all of these things present for you that I I sacrificed and worked really hard to provide for you? My mother worked on a, a factory line for her whole life so that we could have money so that I could eat and have you know, what I needed in every uh, yes, once in a while. Yes, I love that line. It was just <laughs> yeah, to say exactly. everything you needed and some of what right? you wanted. What yeah. I mean, like, what else exactly. is there? And that's, yeah. yes. that's love. Yeah. That is love. And we need to recognize it as such. And you won't always get it exactly the way that you want it. And so you need to understand and recognize love when it's smacking you in the face. <sighs> right? And yeah. take that and let that be just as much a part of the narrative as the other things that you didn't appreciate. Wow. Yikes. A lot of crying. No, No, I'm sorry. We're all crying. (laughs) I mean, for me, they're healing tears. So thank you. I thank you for that. I love my mom so much. Can I show you guys? Of course. She's right here. She's right here on my... Oh my, it's a bar <laughs> makeshift altar that I have. Oh, but this gosh. is her holding holding Mari when oh, Mari was a little baby. Beautiful. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. Gosh. Yeah. Yes. She was something else. And when I talk about her being Lolo yeah. being, I keep saying her yeah. as if Lolo was my mom. She's not. But, uh, but when I talk about Lolo being tall and lithe and monolesque and, you know, yeah. like sheep dresses and, you know, and, that's, you know my mo- that, yeah. that's the way that my mother dressed when she was dating my dad. I have like a couple of pictures of them just like 
oh looking like my gosh. <laughs> he looks like a boxer and she looks like a model. And and I was like, okay, this is who yes. Lola wants to be. And that's who my mom was before, you know, like she became a mom and had yeah, to take down well, some things. <laughs> and I just love yeah. that you found that note yeah. so many years later and just... I mean, talk about signs or just them, her sending you that message when you needed to hear it. And there's a part I won't say where, I don't know what are spoilers, but where Ray is visited by ladybugs and yes, I'm not giving anything away, but so I lost my father in 2013 and my whole family believes that when Mm -hmm. we see ladybugs, that he is paying us a visit or reminding us that he's there. We even went on a full family trip, like extended family to Ireland, which my mom wanted to do. And a freaking ladybug shows up on the table with us all there. And we're just like, see, like he just couldn't miss out on the fun, which by the way is so him. Like, well, if you're all going to be there, I'm going to be there too. (laughs) Um, And so I loved that. I loved that edition of yours with ladybugs but but your own story there with the letter it's just these reminders and you 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 got to take them when they come and acknowledge them which is what i'm trying to do more because you know sometimes like oh it's a ladybug oh no like why is he here what's he trying to tell me what's going on right now you know so you got to stop and think about it i had a medium tell me that my birth mother and my mother are always together and that they show up as either orange ladybugs, specifically orange ladybugs or white feathers, small Mm -hmm. white feathers. And I promise you, when we moved into this house, there were 17 orange ladybugs in Mari's room, just crawling all over the windows. And these windows don't open. Mm -hmm. We live in a house that has like these really tall windows They don't open. We have no idea how they got in, but there were 17 of them just flying around in her or like just kind of all over the windows. They show up as rainbows, Rainbows, double rainbows all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And I find little white feathers right when my mind, I find that when my mind is not clear or I'm worried or there's something going on, or I'm specifically talking about spiritual gifts that one or the other will show up sometimes Mm -hmm. all at the same time. Like one time I was telling a friend, she's a new friend. She was introduced to me by a mutual friend. And we just, you know, kept talking, kept talking until we were comfortable enough to acknowledge that we both have spiritual gifts. And I was like, yeah, my moms, they show up as orange ladybugs. It's crazy. And so while we're talking, we walked a little bit. We were having coffee. We walked a little bit. And we were standing in front of this building and I'm looking at her and she's, her back is to the street and she's looking at the building and my back is toward the building and and I'm talking to her. And then all of a sudden her eyes go like saucers and I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And she's like, look at the wall behind you. And I looked back and literally it was like an entire infestation of orange ladybugs, just all crawling on the wall behind me. Hundreds of them. I took video hundreds of them right after I told her, yeah, they come as orange ladybugs. They're always around. Like I, I know, you know, they're oh around like orange ladybugs come. And that's where they were. So that's, yes. that's how that ended up in the oh story. My gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ask for the signs <laughs> or do they just come to you? Cause I've, I've read that too, that people think they have to wait and that you mm, can ask, right. yeah. you know, like maybe I need 
Sometimes mm-hmm. I ask. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's my baby Mari. She's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the poet. <laughs> um, sometimes I do, but mostly I find mm-hmm. that they make their presence known when when something is on my mind, when I'm worried about something, or something is just kind of has me feeling away. They provide comfort, and when they show up, then whatever is on my mind, shifts, I, I yeah. get clear. And then I understand what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to do it just by acknowledging that they're there and they're guiding. I ha- they're still mothering yeah, me yeah. from the other side. Like, oh, it's still happening. That's incredible. I love yeah. that. I love that. But we always end our interviews talking about astrology, which is something that people, uh, when other oh, authors, wow. <laughs> you know, they're just like, how am I going to make this jump? How am I? But you are so easy to jump into this because <laughs> you're already tapped into all of the things that, you know, the gifts and the tools. And that's how we use astrology. There's a moment you were talking about it before when Ray receives a pouch and all of that happens with it. And she, you have a line that says the pouch was proof that Ray was exactly where she was supposed to be, which is how we use astrology to say, okay, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But to that point, we also like to just take stock of zodiac signs. You are a Libra. Is that correct? I'm a Libra. In all of my houses, except for like three. Really? Wow. Um, there's a Virgo, Virgo, Taurus, and Aries in there. And oh, all that the rest is so is interesting because I'm like that with Leo. Um, it's like every yeah. Yeah. every house is Leo. <laughs> and I feel the same way. Sometimes I'm like, uh, I only got like two other things. So it's do just, you? And one right, of my others right, is right, Libra, right, by right. the way, Libra rising. So That's yeah. Right. Do you That's relate? Right, right, because right. I feel like it's there's wild. Libra all over you. Like yeah. the... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I do. Tell but me. here's the crazy part. I didn't know my birthday right. and mm-hmm. the time that I was born for sure until right. very recently. I got my birth my full birth certificate because New York. I found out during the writing of this book that you're allowed to get your birth certificate if you know what day you were born and what hospital you were born in. And, and so I rode away for it and got it. And only then was I able to mm-hmm. know for sure that I'm a Libra because up until then I thought my, my birthday was oh, an right. estimate because my parents told mm-hmm. me that I was found on a stoop. And so, you know, like I didn't know yeah. if I was yeah. left there right. a right. day, the day I was born or a week after right. Right. or six months, like none, I no idea. And so, yeah, so, and, but I've always yeah. felt like I'm a Libra. I've always felt like, you know, all of those characteristics of yes, I was gonna say, and being yes. creative. Your aesthetic is rules yes. by Venus. so you're Libra. very <laughs> yeah. beautiful, beauty yeah. and, and because love. Because it's ruled by Venus, which is beauty yeah. and passion yeah. and creativity. Yeah. And, yeah. Yes. yes. Right. Oh, my gosh. That's it. I, I've always and felt that. also, yeah. in addition to yeah. that that beauty aspect, which again is all over everything you do, is so aesthetically beautiful and pleasing. There's also the scales, right? Which mm-hmm. is to be able to see other points right. of view. Balance. To write this book, to yeah. write One Blood with the generosity and love that you wrote for all the different parts mm-hmm. of this family, that's a Libra. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. Right? That's right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. 
Right. My friends are always like, now, sometimes people are just who they are and you need to not think about what all went into that. They're just jerks. And I'm like, yeah, I got we got to give them. Right. (laughs) That is totally, that is totally incredible. (laughs) Oh God, I love it. Well, we always really end our interviews with finding out what our authors are loving, if there are books you've read or or shows you're watching or what has got you obsessed right now. I am absolutely obsessed with Ocean Vuong right now. On Earth, We Are All Briefly briefly Gorgeous Mm -hmm. is just one of the prettiest books I've ever read. Mm. I'm still scared to read that one. The mother, I I mean, I know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, it is. It's not an easy read. There's a lot of stuff in it that, you know, it's just like, but just his ability to tell the story in such a beautiful way just helps it's like the medicine that you need to understand sort of the complications of his life as an immigrant as a gay man and then as a son of a mother who is hard and has had a hard life and kind of takes that out on everyone around her including her son and especially her son and so it's it's a really I've read really his poetry but book. maybe you'll um, maybe you'll yeah, work me up maybe. to getting there I'll- <laughs> You okay. have to read okay. this book. It is okay. so pretty. Yeah. It is so pretty. Let's see. What am I watching on TV? I keep rewatching and 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 watching over and over <gasps> again the yes. bear and oh. White Lotus. I love like the writing in both of them, in both seasons of White oh, Lotus and in both seasons of the Bear was just like. Yes. Who writes this? Who's the writer? Can I yes. come and shake your hand yeah. and just give you a bow? Because the, just the storytelling, oh. I I yeah. love good storytelling. And so like beyond the acting, beyond, you know, being, you know, feeling like the, I really like this person and I'm a fan. And so I'm mm-hmm. going to watch what he so or she true. is doing beyond that. They're just yeah. great. Yeah writing and the writing is what carries the show and the actors and actresses are just riding the wave because it's just a really beautiful Mm -hmm. storytelling so those are the two that i keep watching over and over again that and high fidelity with but the series Um, with yeah oh my god i love that i love that my 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 daughter and i watch that together all the time over and over i've had that on my list for a while i feel like now you saying that like i i know because it's been out for a while and i've I've just always like why am i not watching that it's been out for a while yep I just have okay. it saved yes. on Hulu on my little, and I just watch okay. it over and over oh, again. I love it. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> watch it now. Okay. Oh, perfect. perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, and thank you for this book and and your generosity of sharing all of these stories. Mm-hmm. It's just it makes it more the the experience of reading the book so much richer. Thank you, and thank you so much for reading it. Thank you so much for sharing it, but especially thank you so much understanding oh, what God. I was trying to do. Mm. It means a oh, lot to It was me. beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.